And there is a, there is a big element I feel like of going like, okay, this is what I can't control. I can't keep my partner here. I can't make my partner stay in love with me for the rest of my life. But I know that I can always take care of myself. I know that I can always leave a situation if it doesn't serve me. I know that I will always protect myself. I wasn't doing the whole song, I was just doing. Alright, fine. Well, hello everyone. Hi. Welcome to episode six. Still counting, are we? Yes. I will always count. Okay. Welcome to episode 56,503. My God, if we ever make it that long. Um. Well, first of everyone, we'd like to mention that uh, the interview that we have today with our guest, Lola Phoenix, um, we discuss depression, anxiety and addiction. So if these topics are triggering for you, please keep that in mind when listening. Um, also a reminder that we aren't therapists and neither is Lola, but we have all been to therapy and we encourage anyone who is struggling with their mental health to seek professional help. Um, so we are speaking, as I mentioned just then, to a brilliant uh, guest today, Lola Phoenix. We're really mm-hmm. excited to bring you that interview a little bit later in the episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we've got some stuff to chat about Yes, first. we do. Some exciting things. Yeah. Um, first off, um, a huge congratulations is in order for us. <laughs> because um, it's uh, we've hit 1,000 downloads and 1,000 followers on Instagram. So just a big thank you to all of you lovely <laughs> listeners and followers um yeah i mean awesome. a thank you to us but also like a thank you to everybody else who's followed and listened and downloaded so that's exciting but when you said that it made, reminded me of have you seen that clip of snoop dog when he's like getting an award and he's like i'd like to thank myself <laughs> <laughs> and he says something You're like i'd snoop- like to help myself for all the hard work for never having a day off like it's very funny <laughs> So, yeah, no, I think uh, Snoop is one of the few people in the world who can get away with that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So but, uh, uh, that's exciting. We're also two of the other people. So thanks us. We are <laughs> awesome. Um, another thing that we want to talk about is there's some minor changes to uh, the, the sort of branding that we've been using. Basically, we did when we did our little bonus episode... We, I'm just going to own up to it, all right? I'm just going to own up to it a little okay. bit. <laughs> we were very critical of the kind of, um, just the interchangeable mm. use of various non-monogamy terms. And of course, uh, we used to have our little tagline, which was um, life and love in an open relationship, which... You know, to be fair, when we first opened up, that probably was kind of where... Yeah, it was um, authentic at the was time, at, it was wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really characterise our... Uh, well, not, not just um, our dynamic, but also our... I, you know, the, what the podcast is really about. Absolutely. So we've changed it to Life and Love in Polyamory, which I think so, rolls yeah. off the tongue much more nicely. I think it? it's nice. And I think... So yes, you'll see that, guys. I don't know if you've noticed the change, mm. but... I think as well, you know, we always talk, we always say that you have to allow people to grow. And when we started the podcast and when we first opened our relationship, like I think, yeah, like maybe open relationship was authentic or was correct at some point. But I think also the more that we talk to people, the more books we read and the more that we learn, we have come to understand the nuances of the different terms and we have just realized that open relationship doesn't suit us anymore and that polyamory is much more yeah. authentic, right? Plus we are the poly podcast, so it just yeah. makes sense that it's it does make sense. Polyamory in but, general. Yeah. You know, I mean who's to say that it won't change again? And I think that's so important to be able to have a fluid relationship with these terms and 
Um, I know a lot of people who have fluid relationships with their pronouns or, you know, how they identify. And I think when you acknowledge that once you decide you're something, you don't have to, you can never change. Mm. I think that just also acknowledges the wider nature of humanity. So, yeah, yeah, I'm excited about the change. I think it's it's nice that this show is evolving as as we do as people and as our listeners do as well. So everything else about us changes. So why can't, you know? Yeah. These um And you never know like sort of ident- identifying it could change to non monogamy at some point. Might that might work better for us <clears throat> and it's just about staying true to that and um yeah, embracing that change when it comes. Yeah. 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 So uh, I believe you also have some, some oh, yeah. fun and interesting news well, slash brags. We um flexes. Yeah, uh well. So I wrote some stuff, guys. Yeah, you did. So go and check it out. Um, I had an article published. We did mention the article. It's been uh, on. Marie Claire. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned those last time. Since then, you've been busy, haven't you? Yeah, and we've got it all all in our socials as well. Or You can just Google my name and most of my stuff comes up. Um, So essentially, I had an article published in one of the major UK newspapers um, called I, as in just lowercase, the letter I, for our international listeners. And I spoke about... Marriage laws in the UK, because it was a UK newspaper, so obviously I wrote for a UK audience. And I also wrote about the Equality Act, which is quite a landmark sort of act that happened in the UK, where all of the little mini sort of different discrimination acts all were pulled together in 2010 to protect people uh, from discrimination based on nine different characteristics, one of those being sexual orientation. And one of them is also gender reassignment. So there's kind of like the LGBTQIA plus community is protected to a degree in these laws. Uh, but I talk about how, yes, sexual orientation is included, but polyamory is not listed as a sexual orientation. So therefore, people who are polyamorous, either by choice or orientation, are not protected from discrimination under these laws. So I sort of just take a broader look at that in an opinion piece and argue why these things should be changed. So um, check that out. Uh, I'm really, I just thought it's, I think I'm really proud of the piece and I'm glad that um, I wrote it. And then I also wrote uh, a, another sort of story about my experience with non-monogamy and our relationship for a brilliant little queer magazine or online sort of, it's a website called Residence 11 and they do some really great stuff, publish a lot of different queer stories. So definitely check them out as well, just in general. Uh, There's always something there that I'm sure most people will be able to relate to. And uh, if you've got experience, you can also get things published if you've got those experiences, queer experiences. So I sort of spoke about in the piece, my piece about, the sort of fluid relationship that I have with polyamory and how I feel I fit between it's not an orientation for me and how I I feel like I fit somewhere in between the binaries of polyamory and monogamy and how I often just don't date and I return to being monogamous date myself date others uh so that was quite a nice cathartic piece mm-hmm. for me to write so check and, it out yeah both of those uh the links to both of those are in on the Instagram bio, um, for anyone that's listening that yeah. follows us on Or oh, you can scroll through the Twitter, like they're on socials. <coughs> um, yeah. But yeah, check those out. Um, and just to go back a few weeks, we did a poll about uh, do you go to bed as the same time as your partner oh, yes, or partners, which was super interesting. Um, so I've got some results that I want to – sort of chat through mm-hmm. the results were actually really varied which i wasn't surprised by really i i think it was i didn't really have any expectations for it so i so, didn't it's hard to be surprised by stuff that you're like i don't really know what's gonna happen so we had some emails we had some sort of social comments and yeah we did actually we had have all sorts of people directly, sort of yeah. get in touch but essentially um we've got a sort of rough estimate based on all of those sort of aggregated results. But it's interesting. So the question was, yeah, do you go to bed at the same time as your partners? And partner slash partner. Partners, partner, whoever, whether you have a live-in partner like we do or maybe you're solo poly and mm. you, or you're more of a relationship anarchist and you live by yourself. Like how do you handle that? Uh, so we had about 30% of people say that, yes, they do go to bed at the same time. 
we had 15 that said only with some partners. So depending on mm. who they're with, what their sort of relationship dynamic is like and, you know, what mm. works for them, uh, depending on, yeah, there's lots of different complexities around living scenarios. Mm. And then we had 55, 50% ish say that no they don't so half of people said that they don't go to bed at the same time and as that includes partners. us and we don't yeah but it's it's an it's just it, it's just it is really interesting it's just interesting isn't it because i mean i would love to do uh a do the same polls mm. with two sets of uh two data sets one com- compiled from purely monogamous people who yeah you know, particularly married couples who've been married for a long time, maybe, well, maybe not necessarily a long time, but just are married or, um, and then like a totally different set of data that's mm. purely non-monogamous. I think that would be quite an interesting yeah. comparison because I would hazard, this is my hypothesis, my, I would hazard <laughs> a guess that the monogamous folk would, are more likely to, to go to bed at the same time. I reckon. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? It'd be really interesting because our audience, like we don't have that sort of segmentation data, but our no. audience, I how, feel like. How could you possibly? Is a mixture, but I would say probably more people that are non-monogamous. Yeah. I would say. Um, but I think it's interesting <clears throat> because ultimately polyamory does promote in its essence, and of course, I'm not saying that non-monogamy does uh, monogamy doesn't promote this, but I'm just saying that polyamory does, by design, promote individuality, yeah. and it does promote a relationship with yourself as well as a relationship with others. So I feel like you might, I would kind of, if I had to say one way or the other, I could imagine that if there are people who are more likely to be individuals or more likely to have their own pattern and habits of doing things, which you do develop as time goes on when you're in an open relation, a non-monogamous relationship, Mm -hmm. then you might go to bed separately. I mean, I, yeah, we do. We were kind of always that way, but then I guess that just ties in with that just kind of, uh, but we also say, were we ever really monogamous? Yeah. That's what I was like, not really. Like if you look back, I think mm. were we ever really monogamous? Like, like yes, in physically, yes. Like, f- like we weren't sleeping with other people. Absolutely, we were monogamous in that sense. It's an energy that was. But <laughs> emotionally, were we? Yeah. Like we would flirt with people together sometimes. <laughs> you know. Yes. Or like not yeah, and like that's t- that's not really monogamous, is it? So. I mean, it's its own little kind of. Uh, version, yeah, monogamy, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's definitely on the spectrum. It's not purely monogamous, yeah. is it? So we were already, I feel like, on that spectrum in a very real way until we yes. opened. So, so yes. Um. Okay. Shall we? Um. Well, I've just got one more thing. Well, I was going to gonna say. say, should we get to the guest? But before we do that, you, there's a little bit of um. Of, of terminology. Like, ter- yeah, terminology <laughs> to, to share. share. So Go for it. <laughs> Lola Phoenix, who you'll meet shortly, <laughs> she mentions quite early on in the episode, in the interview, she mentions the crab bucket mentality and we don't define that in the interview. So I just wanted to explain what that is so that when you're listening, you have context for that. So essentially, we talk about the crab bucket mentality and, and the idea or the meaning behind this is it is basically this idea that like if I can't have it then neither can you so the idea that there's all these crabs in a bucket and that if one tries to kind of get out the other crab will pull it down so it's like it involves pulling down anyone who achieves or is about to achieve success greater than yours yeah right so you've got all the crabs one tries to climb up and then one tries to like like if it's about to get up it pulls it back down so you're all stuck in this bucket together. So mm. it takes its name from how crabs scramble to get out of a boiling pot by clambering up the t- on the top of others. Right, yeah. Right? So so that's the idea. It's like pulling people down if they're about to or are achieving something better than you. Yeah. Um, so that's just a little bit it's of... It's almost like an envy thing. Yeah. And it's something that 
is talked about in a lot of different books and that I have read where it's just this culture that people do have where it's a bit like, well, you know, if you can't, if I can't have that, then neither can you. And it can, it can be really relevant to so many different things. Like, and you can understand how that would be relevant in polyamory, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, if you can't, if I can't have that sexual experience, if I can't have that partner, if I can't have that holiday, then neither can you. Like it's, it's an idea that you're kind of taking control over someone else's experience if you're to kind of translate that, I think, to yeah. polyamory in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think there's many different translations yeah. and it's a really interesting concept to look into because when you learn about it, you're it like, a lot oh. of applications, doesn't it? Yeah. In so this, I think society. it's um, super interesting <clears throat> and uh, Lola does mention that early and now on. now you know exactly what it means. You're an expert on it. So listen out to it, guys. Listen out. Um, should we go take a nap? We're gonna go. We're gonna go take a nap. Take a break. Then we're gonna take a nap. Okay. Uh, and then when we when we when we wake up from the nap, Lola will be here, and we'll be talking to her. <laughs> so we're gonna go take a nap. I'm tired. I'm a tired, tired person. Uh, I need I need a nap. Okay. Let's go take a nap. We need to take a nap. All, All right. right. Enjoy your nap, and we'll be back well. after this small Short break. jingle. <laughs> Okay, everyone, we are thrilled to welcome today's guest. Uh, they're the person behind the podcast and advice column, Non-Monogamy Help, and their book, The Anxious Person's Guide to Non-Monogamy, Your Guide to Open Relationships, Polyamory and Letting Go, was published in 2022. Welcome to the show, Lola Phoenix. Woo! Thank you. I really, really appreciate you having me. No, we're it's so excited, yes. aren't we? Mm-hmm. Especially after reading your book, I think we're just like, we're two Lola fan people, really, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. So we're very excited to speak to you today. Um, I guess just to start with, we'd love to hear a little bit about you and um, about your work, just so our listeners can kind of learn more about you. Yeah, sure. So my name is Lola. I am an American, obviously, as you can tell, (laughs) but I lived in the UK. I left America around 2010 and I lived in the UK for about 12 years and now I live in Sweden. I kind of first got interested in polyamory by way of the kind of sex positive community. I got really interested in sex positivity because it became like one of my special interests, like in terms of learning about STIs and sexual health and things like that. And I just kind of ended up learning more about it. I found it really interesting and it became kind of something that, especially when I moved to the UK, some of the first communities that I joined were polyamory communities. So it's been kind of a feature of my life for a while. And I'd say like, I think that one of the reasons why I kind of started doing what I do, because I'm I'm actually like more of a fiction writer. I write science fiction and <laughs> really? fantasy. So oh, how I'm, cool. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily, I was never really super into being in the nonfiction genre, but the, the experiences that I had with polyamory, I just felt like a lot of the advice that I read made sense on paper. And then whenever Mm. I went in to practice it, it didn't work so well for me. That doesn't mean it doesn't work well for other people, but I found like with my combined history and some of the issues that I had, it just wasn't working. And when I started talking more about it and I saw people agreeing with me, I got a lot of pushback. I got a lot of people who it kind of seems like there's a little bit of a crab bucket mentality. And I kind of talk a little bit about that in my book, but there were a lot of people who were happy to hear what I said. And so I decided that I wanted to write more about it. And I've always kind of really liked advice communities. Like I got super involved once I learned a lot about sexual health. I started giving advice in like sex tips communities and then that kind of spiraled onto like polyam communities. And then one day, like somebody on Reddit, like DM'd me directly for advice. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. And maybe I can kind of like do a a column. That might be fun. That might be something that, you know, I would be interested in doing. And I started, it started off as a column and then eventually became like also a podcast because I actually did radio journalism in uni and I'm I'm super interested in radio. Um, So I decided like I would try out a podcast 
just to kind of get a little feel because sometimes audio is a little bit easier. It depends on how mm. you're feeling, basically. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like where the podcast came. And then Jessica Kingsley Publishers kind of approached me and were like, we'd be interested in a book. And I was like, oh, what am I going to write about? Because I didn't really feel like I had a lot of like super personal experience to write about. And my take on things is often like so different from how a lot of people seem to come to polyamory in terms of being like super interested in and like dating tons of people all the time. And so I was like, well, I do tend to repeat myself a lot in the column sometimes, <laughs> or like I give the same advice that's it's packaged differently depending on the situation, but there are kind of, you know, I did write like a couple of 101, 102 articles that yeah. have done pretty well. So I was like, well, maybe I can like expand on that. And mm. so I expanded on that for my book. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like been more or less my history around it. And um, I just, I've a pretty, I've, I've kind of, I didn't really expect anything to kind of happen from it, to be honest. Like I, I do like giving advice, like just generally. And I am really like always humbled by the fact that like people really like the podcast, that people mm. really like the column, that people really like the book. And, and really it's just, it's just designed to help people like who just feel like they are really lost and there isn't a voice like talking about their experience. It doesn't mean everybody's experience is like mine, obviously, but I hope that it, as I always say on the like column in the podcast, I hope it helps. 100% and I think like what your why your work is so powerful is that people and we experience this in our like story as well people are just trying to find someone else that is experiencing something either exactly the same or related to how they're feeling and if you all of a sudden have someone who can give you advice or a community you can go to you go from feeling like an alien to part of something and that can actually be really powerful yeah and also um one of the things that I instantly think of is with your with your book um, and just basically you know talking about anxiety in general uh, around um, non-monogamy and things like that it's I feel like that's a like a bit of a unifying kind of middle ground like I feel like everyone f experiences some form of anxiety obviously it's going to be slightly different ways but I feel like everyone that's that's kind of ex just opening up and just exploring or even even you know people who are more experienced in non-monogamy uh, have anxiety about it sometimes and and that's that's part of the experience and it's part of life in general so it's definitely not something we should shy away from um but so like but as you discuss in in your, in your book anxiety can show up for people who uh well when when trying monogamy for the first time whether whether they have had previous anxious anxious experiences or not so how how much does this have to do with uh social conditioning uh, and the risk of breaking away from what is considered, like, in air quotes, correct or right, <laughs> um, or even natural to some people. Like, maybe you could sort of expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. I think in general, like, we actually are probably have been probably super anxious about our first relationships. It's just that a lot of people, by the time they get to being interested in non-monogamy, don't remember that. Like they don't really remember having their first crushes. They don't really remember like their first forays into things. And so their anxiety can feel really new, but actually they've been through this before. They just don't remember. And then I think there's always an element when trying something new that people feel anxious, but because this is something that doesn't have a social script and doesn't have a, a kind of codified, like this is a way you can live. This is an option that you can choose. I feel like there's even more pressure than added on to it. And I think it, there's a combination there because I feel like we as like when Facebook started, there was an open relationship status, right? Like there, there is mm -hmm. an awareness of open relationships, at least. So it's not as if people don't know anything at all about it. And this is sort of different from some of the things that I've been through where somebody doesn't know anything about it doesn't even realize it's a thing and it's different challenges. Mm. But I do feel like for most people, their concept of open relationships is that they don't work. So I feel like you're having to fight against this on this idea in your head that this is this is a new thing, but it's new in a bad way. And I think without like a lot of people believe and this isn't even within polyamory. This is like I, I see this in paganism. I see this in almost everything. It's the idea that something that is old is somehow, or traditional, somehow is a lot more stable, somehow is a lot more valuable. It, within like religion, sometimes it's like, this is more holy because it's old. 
And the idea that new things are like very scary and very untested and that they're not as valid. And I, I feel like there's a lot of comparisons with, you know, when you looked at, I was heavily involved because my mom is gay in the, in the marriage equality debates in the U.S. And that was a big thing in my teenage years. And there was this always this constant thing of like, look at this old lesbian couple and they've been together for 20 years and they should be able to be married. And it's not that they shouldn't. But it's this idea that like the old aspect of it or something has to last a long period of time for it to be valid. Mm. Something has to be etched within stone in order to be valid. There's a lot of things that are old traditions that are not very valid. There's a kind of like fear that like this is a new thing and that is really precarious. Yeah. And because you have like and it's not even necessarily about it being wrong or bad because we've had polyamory not really polyamory but we've had polygamy within mm. a lot of societies and we do to be honest like a lot of monogamous people act sometimes in a kind of polyamorous way when they're dating mm. before they settle down they might date multiple people at the same time <laughs> so i don't think it's always necessarily about the idea that it's that it's shameful or bad but when you're starting off like in a relationship where you're already anxious because it's a new relationship, every new relationship is going to bring anxiety and that's fine. That's normal. And then you're starting off without this cultural script. We've had our entire lives been told that this is the option. And so for your entire life, even as a kid, when you're like playing house and stuff, you're thinking about a future, a life which is constructed around a pair, a couple. So you're going towards something new, which you've never really even thought about, which adds to, I think, everything. And then on top of that, I feel like there's an intercommunal pressure to kind of sell polyamory in, 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 in a lot of contexts. So like, I feel like that crab bucket mentality that I was talking about, there's a little bit of a almost a fear that if people talk too much about the problems that people face when they're like dealing with polyamory, then people will be too afraid to try it or it'll it'll kind of look bad. And I think that doesn't always come from a negative or bad place. I think I understand why people are really interested in that legitimization, but that does put a lot of pressure on people to then always have it together, to not, and I think that creates an atmosphere where it, it's hard to admit when you're having your own problems. I mean, in my own first experiences, there are things that I agreed to that I feel like I wouldn't have agreed to if I, if I were monogamous, because I was like, I can't be jealous. I must not be jealous, so I must be fine with everything. That's one of the things that I kind of wanted to emphasize because I feel like so much of the the attitude in the community or the advice that's given is sort of like if you're jealous or if you're scared, it's because you feel insecure and or that it's it's a personal flaw that you have to work on. But actually, if you're like if if somebody was gonna give a big speech and they were really nervous, no one would think that person was insecure. No one would be like, oh well, you must clearly think that something's wrong with you. No, you're about to give a big speech. We understand that that's gonna make you a little bit nervous. Maybe and giving speeches way, isn't for you. Maybe you should yeah. just never give speeches ever again. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should maybe just not do that. Yeah, maybe you're bad at giving speeches. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't think that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think what you said, um, you know, earlier on about how the anxiety around relationships, like that is so true for me personally and so relatable. Like the first person that I dated back when I was like 16, I was terrified. When I met you and we were monogamous for the first little while, year and a bit, I remember saying to my housemates, oh, I don't want to talk about him because I'm really excited and I don't I don't want anything bad to happen and like it. yeah <laughs> and like I have a bit of a um, predisposition to anxiety anyway like I'm a bit of an anxious person but you forget that when you're mm. going into polyamory and mm. then eventually I feel like and this is sort of something that I've heard you I've heard you say and I've heard you, seen you write you know that sometimes actually monogamy if you've tried polyamory you're super anxious you're like oh I can't do it I'm bad at it and then you go back to monogamy like this monogamy can almost make you feel calm there's something about how you've always thought about this is how it's supposed to be this is how it's going to be so you're kind of calm even though actually it maybe might not even be the right thing for you anyway hmm. right I think yeah. as well there, there's also there's different there are different types of anxiety in because in the sense that you, you're really anxious about re relationships and things around centered around relationships, I have my my own anxieties and uh, and I have suffered with you know pretty 
crippling anxiety, mm. um, particularly after I uh, quit, quit drinking and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, it's it's funny. It's like it's it's not like every anxious person is going to be anxious about doing non-monogamy necessarily. Like I I felt pretty calm about it overall. Yeah. Um, and this mm-hmm. is this is one of the really interesting differences between me and Siobhan. Um, like obviously for her it was super anxiety inducing mm. for me it was like oh i feel like i felt like there was a release that we were doing this because it was kind of part of who i was and whatever mm. and it's just interesting like anxiety is not that general it's 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 a spectrum mm-hmm. of an, of anxiety yeah and uh yeah i just i just find that's like super interesting that um yeah that's that's my point. <laughs> and I, we we loved it. Thank you. Thanks. And <laughs> something we you sort of touched on in that last answer is about how if you're feeling jealous or if you're feeling anxious, people will and and automatically think. And I kind of had this feeling for the first like thirty seconds was like I might be bad at polyamory or I'm not cut out for it if I feel this way. And I'd I'd love for you to kind of talk to us about how that probably isn't the case or it might be the case for some people but how just because you're feeling uncomfortable doesn't necessarily mean that you're like not cut out to do it yeah definitely I think that like I said it's reasonable to expect yourself to have some anxiety and it would be you know there are cases where you may not but it's very reasonable and there's a lot going on that's at stake and I think that it's helpful to understand the way that your brain is working because that was kind of the biggest light bulb moment for me, just overall in dealing with my anxiety in general and also like dealing with anxiety within polyamory is that I was, you know, jealousy for me is not really the same as being afraid of losing my partner. And I've always had this kind of like, you know, we can we can split hairs, we can call it envy and jealousy and like, what's the right word for what? <laughs> but I think regardless of what's the right word for what, I feel like I knew what jealousy was because of being a non-binary person and really, really wanting, I really wanted a breast reduction. And I felt really uncomfortable and really unhappy in my body. And when I saw, I was trying really hard to get my reduction on the NHS and it wasn't working. And so when I saw other people getting stuff on the NHS, like either going through a GIC, getting there, I felt jealous. And I knew what that felt like in my body. It wasn't even that I had anything against them also. It was just, I know what jealousy felt like in my body. And when I was, you know, had a partner that was like out on a date or, or doing things like for me, a big thing is like, I'm not a big party person. And I've dated people who are big party people who love going out. So there's always been a thing of like, oh, well, what if they find another party person? Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not exciting enough. I'm not fun enough. You know, I'm a stick in the mud. Mm -hmm. So that feeling is not the same as what I felt before. And I feel a very big difference. And when I kind of analyzed that, I was like, okay, what is this actually about? One of the biggest like breakthrough moments, and I quoted in my book about anxiety was that anxiety is not about the thing that you think it's about. So if you're anxious, like I used to have intense panic attacks thinking that my throat was going to close. It was very weird health based anxiety thing, but actually I wasn't scared that my throat was going to close. I was scared that I wouldn't be able to handle it. So the idea that like anxiety is not actually about the thing that you're anxious about. It's about a lack of faith in yourself and your ability to handle it. It's about not, you know, being afraid that you don't have the tools. Mm. And I think when you apply that to polyamory, it's a reasonable thing to be afraid of one that you may not have the tools Two, I think it's reasonable to have like a little bit of scared feelings to not feel so hot, to to be a little bit worried. And sometimes you just have feelings and there isn't a solving for them. Sometimes you just feel bad and that's okay. And then I think sometimes you are afraid of losing your partner, which is an understandable reaction. You're literally going against like your partner is with someone else (laughs) by like monogamy definitions. You have lost them. But I think the idea is that monogamy creates this environment of safety because it has a social construct, because it has the, the relationship escalator that sort of constantly reaffirms that we are together and we're not splitting apart, but it actually isn't. Because none of that, like, yes, obviously we hope that when people get married or, you know, that they are truthful in their intention to stay together, but that's really a promise and things can happen. 
You know, there's no assurances in life. Just because you feel reassured doesn't necessarily mean that something won't happen. So I think there's like a combination and different types of anxieties, like you said, about different things. But I think that before you go off and just say, oh, I can't do this, I think you need to think about, okay, what is it that I'm anxious about? If I applied the same situation to a friendship, would I feel still feel anxious? So like if I have a partner who maybe doesn't spend a lot of time with me and they're spending super amounts of time with someone else, or like maybe we, let's say we wanted to go to this restaurant together and they went with, to, with another partner to this restaurant instead, I would be sad. Like, wait, we said we'd go to this restaurant together. I'd also be sad if that happened with a friend. So is this really about jealousy or is this about a situation within a relationship that is a need that's going unmet? So think about that. There could be situations where you are jealous and it doesn't mean that you're an evil controlling monster. You may, you know, in that situation, you may also be jealous because somebody's giving, you know, somebody else something that you want. And that doesn't mean you're a controlling monster either. It also doesn't mean you can't deal with it. So I think it's, it's sort of like, like any other big change in your life or any other major lifestyle change. You know, if you move to a, a new town, a completely new town, you're, you would never expect yourself to just be okay. You would yeah. expect to miss home. You would expect to struggle. But we, we for some reason, <laughs> yeah. and I think that the, this is where the rose-tinted glasses kind of have a negative impact, I feel, because people sell polyamory and they, and I try not to sell it to yeah. the point where I think mm -hmm. people think I'm trying to turn people away, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to sell it. And I'm not trying to say it's horrible, but I'm trying to give people a realistic view. Don't just assume that like, I'm bad at this. I'm, you know, in, in the same way that you wouldn't assume that a town isn't for you if you just moved there and you missed all the people that you used to know, you know, try to apply it to other situations in your life. Try to see like, yes, maybe it's not something that you're interested in either because you don't want a partner that's away from you for as long because your partner will be away from you. That is the reality. Or maybe, you know, you're, you're not that interested in dating other people. There's no personal benefit in it for you that you can see. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're like inadequate or too jealous or, too, you know, it can there's different reasons we choose different paths and it doesn't have to be a judgment either way. So true. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's about like selling polyamory. I certainly feel that pressure. If we were to have like a normal relational problem that any other relationship has, I think most people would be like, oh, well, it's because you're, you know, you're open. So that's why. And yeah. there's that element of it. And so I, that's where I feel like the pressure comes from. And I've actually had to say to my family members and some of my friends, like, just an FYI, the fact that we're in an open relationship is the least of my worries. Like it's quite <laughs> literally down the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. There are so many other things that happen in life, work, stepkids, job, whatever, that cause more stress, money, the open relationship thing. It's like, okay, you know? Yeah. So I really love that you said that and I love that you highlighted that there is that pressure and that it is actually super unequal other stuff and that litmus test of testing it against other relationships or other scenarios I think that's a really actionable and healthy way to to test it out to kind of reply it to other things yeah I feel like there's a the the, the pressure that I sometimes feel is less so like trying have like feeling like I have to sell it and more that I have to defend it a little bit. Yeah, really? fair. And this is mainly in the conversations with, I mean, maybe this is kind of what you're uh, alluding to anyway, but, um, but with, with, with monogamous people or people who are kind of just a little bit. Unaware, maybe haven't had much contact with it before. Yeah, haven't had much contact mm -hmm. or experience with it. You, you, you instantly go into, I mean, I, I try not to be defensive when I'm talking about it, mm -hmm. but I do feel like a lot of the questions are kind of uh they're slightly loaded in that you, the way that you answer it kind of requires you to but i i always come back to this which is non-monogamy is hard work but so is non-monogamy so is monogamy rather. <laughs> <laughs> it's double yeah. double hard but no, so um, all relationships right relationships in general are uh, can be challenging mm you know mm -hmm, and uh, and and not in a bad way we should cherish those challenges mm. because they help us grow and help us become i don't know hopefully better people or whatever mm -hmm. um but um yeah but, whatever yeah, better people you know, or you know whatever you know, <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> Something adjacent to better people. It's fine. More, more laid back people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, the, I, I, I really love the way that you, there's parallels in the way that you describe things. You, you, you kind of use other aspects of life to almost uh, make your point about, about non-monogamy and, and anxiety and things like that. But the, one of the things that I thought about when you were speaking just then was uh, like, this idea of just allowing yourself to feel these normal emotions because for me one of, one of the big things that helped me helps me handle sort of more depressive periods um because obviously it's quite cyclical um when i'm feeling depressed and this is the same this probably works with anxiety too maybe i should try it next time is <laughs> is um is this idea of just ride that wave baby just ride the wave. Like, don't fight it too much. Just be like, okay, I'm feeling depressed today. That's normal. And just mm-hmm. kind of don't don't fight against the current. Just kind of just let yourself be depressed for a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, if that kind of spirals and kind of becomes a, a constant sort of thing, then, then maybe there needs to be a little bit of, I don't know, something to you like know. It's, you know professional intervention yes exactly <laughs> yeah but if it's just if it's just something that you you know is kind of a part of you and it's kind of normal and it's kind of in today we're all going to feel um different emotions in our lives we should, yeah. we should stop shying away from them all the time you can't turn it yeah. off we right can't, yeah Not a Vulcan. exactly yeah exactly exactly so um yeah just kind of sometimes i mean it's hard to know when you should ride the wave and when you should be that's the where that's where the challenge is um yeah but but some people uh like it's not this well it's just not even normalized to, to kind of just allow allow yourself to feel those emotions sometimes and normalize that like there's always ha- always has to be something wrong you know what i mean it's not necessarily there's anything yeah. wrong it, it may just be your human brain being a human brain um yeah and that's especially true when it comes to polyamory uh or non-monogamy mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean you kind of already answered the next question quite well i, I was sort of going to ask um obviously there are instances of jealousy where jealousy or anxiety are completely valid and um i guess the the extension to that is how do people know when when their anxiety is is kind of called for or if it's something mm-hmm. that maybe is is attached to some other insecurity that they could probably um, address or or kind of um, challenge, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure you get lots yeah. of people that are like, "Oh, I'm feeling this thing. Is this allowed?" Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you know, on your your advice column. So, what's like sort of a common response you might give to that? So, I think that actually it pairs really well with what you just said in terms of like riding the wave. Because what I say mm-hmm. is like sitting in discomfort. Because probably the biggest thing with my anxiety, like the first thing that helped me with it was not seeing every anxiety attack I had as like me being Sisyphus putting, putting up the boulder and then, <laughs> oh, it's back down. Oh, I'm starting yeah. from scratch. Oh, there's the shame. There's, I failed. Like it was just accepting that anxiety may be part of my life. And I don't kick myself when I get a cold. I mean, I'm not, I'm probably like the worst sick person because I don't like to be sick, but I don't beat myself up. I don't experience the same type of shame when I have a cold. So this is just going to be part of it. And I think that in a lot of ways, in a weird way with anxiety, sometimes accepting that helps tremendously to the point where your anxiety might actually get less because a big part of the anxiety is like fighting, right? It's fighting for control. And it, it, because like I said, it's about being afraid, you know, your mind is afraid. You're not going to be able to handle this. Your mind wants to help you survive. So your mind is going, okay, we have to control something about this situation because we have to survive. And your survival response is like a big part of you. And it's a big part of humanity. It's what's kept us alive for a long period of time. We are really social creatures. Our relationships, despite like the sort of like hunter uber macho man type of you know warrior in the woods type of thing that a lot of people want to believe kept us alive when we look at our brains like we we heal in relation to one another our relationships when we put ourselves in solitary confinement we start to go crazy we need each other we need connection and relationships this the foundation of our relationships as children is how we learn how to deal with our emotions how we learn how to regulate them and so if we don't have that foundation 
or we're threatened with the loss of a relationship, that is going to trigger a huge survival response. And, you know, it's been proven, I don't even like know the exact study. And if I'm wrong, please, someone feel free to correct me on social media. But there is proven, um, like, the, the same pathways that in, ignite in your brain when you experience the threat of sh social loss are the same pathways that ignite when you experience pain. It is a huge deal to be worried about rejection. It's not stupid. And I feel like, but combined with this culture of like, hyper-independence, this idea that you shouldn't need anyone, that you should just be fine on your own. I think even within monogamy, people really struggle. And I think that people just forget that they struggle. And I think, you know, when whenever you have monogamous people, because I think there's pressure like internally and externally. And I think that comes so much from people just feeling the pressure to be in relation feeling disconnected from one another as a whole society. Like we're very disconnected more than we've ever been in all of humanity. We used to live in very small, tiny villages, very tight knit communities. And now we're very spread apart. We're very disconnected. We don't live in group, big groups of families anymore. Not, well, not necessarily everyone, some, some people do, but we're very disconnected. So the, the drive to like find a partner and, and be like, that's a very big drive. So it makes sense that for a lot of monogamous people, this idea that your partner could go away and be with someone else. And like, that is very threatening and very scary. And I think when it comes to like trying to figure out whether or not your anxiety is too much. Like, I think it's very much kind of down to the individual of like, should I get therapy or not? You know, is this enough to check into a hospital or not? Like those, those kind of boundaries are very personal, but I do think that it's worth, you know, I, 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 I think I got one letter from someone who was in a really bad situation. And they were like, but you told, you said I should sit in the discomfort. And I was like, sitting in discomfort doesn't mean staying in a relationship that where you're very incompatible and you know that like, and it's, it's very hard to tell. And I, I absolutely understand why people have a really hard time telling because you, you know, when to say when is a very personal decision. Mm -hmm. But I do think that like, when it comes to dealing with anxiety and how you're feeling, firstly, accepting it is like the biggest step, accepting that you feel this way, accepting that your brain is doing this, not because it's your enemy and it hates you, but because it's, it's scared for you and it's trying to protect you. It's trying to keep you safe. And so if it's like, oh my God, my partner's with somebody else. Oh my God, oh my God, I need to control this. I need to fix this situation because I might lose my partner. That is an extremely understandable reaction for your brain to have. And there is an element of sitting in discomfort, just like with anxiety, like it's kind of CBT, it's kind of exposure therapy. Like if you're, you know, when I was scared that uh, eating something might get my throat to close because I just randomly had that fear, sometimes I had to eat something, have that like little ang anxious pang of like, oh my God, and then live through it and then go, okay, I survived that. I didn't die. I'm okay. And then building that, it's about building that trust within yourself because once you have, and, and like my anxiety is hundred percent better now. And I think that is because I learned and understood my nervous system. I understood what my brain was doing. I no longer saw my brain as my enemy. And there is a, there is a big element I feel like of going like, okay, th this is what I can't control. I can't keep my partner here. I can't make my partner stay in love with me for the rest of my life. But I know that I can always take care of myself. I know that I can always leave a situation if it doesn't serve me. I know that I will always protect myself. And so when you have that foundation of like, I know I'm there for me, then that makes it easier when there's other stuff that's unpredictable. So it's, I think it's, it's about growing that trust within yourself. And then it's not to say you'll never feel scared, just like, you know, it's not that it, just because I don't like have the same problems with anxiety doesn't mean I don't get afraid. But like I notice very much I actually feel more anxiety in my body because I'm not always at a conscious high level of anxiety now that when I get like, you know, when I was waiting for like my visa, my work visa to be approved, I'd get an email from like the the agency dealing with it. My heart would go like, oh, <laughs> and I'd be like, OK, I'm fine. But like, you know, once you kind of learn that you will reach kind of a little bit of a stability. It doesn't mean that, you know, you won't have any kind of, your nervous system still is exists, but you now understand there's a break in it instead of just living at a constant fight or flight. And I think a lot of people live at a constant fight or flight, to be honest with you. A hundred percent. I certainly did before. When we opened our relationship, that was like a big trigger for me to 
do what you just said, like be there for yourself. I've never never really did that before. I was literally like had my like, breakdown slash awakening in 2022 where I was like, wow, like there's all these things that these books are telling me to do so I can be happy in an open relationship and I've never done it before. And I was like, yeah. I've never been there for myself. I've never looked out for myself. And the way I was responding to that was – trying to control when I was monogamous, like controlling what my partners were doing. And then early on we had like quite strict rules about stuff because mm. I needed to feel safe. But now that I've mm. had time and distance between that, I could see that I was also trying to sort of control what Rich was doing and how Rich was feeling so mm. that I could mm. feel safe. And then, you know, as time's gone on, I've kind of grown a bit more and I mm. don't need to do that anymore. Um, but that kind of leads us probably to like one of our last questions about this is like. Well, if I could just actually make oh, yeah. one quick thing. Go forth. Like, think, yeah, no, it's fine. The thing about this, this, sort of, uh, this sort of thing that I find really interesting is like every now and then you, you observe patterns in nature that, that are just really. Um, <laughs> oh, where are we going with this, babe? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stick with me. Stick the, with them. <laughs> but it's just really interesting. Like when we. When we want to get fitter or stronger physically, we go to the gym, right? And we kind of, we Mm -hmm. apply stress to our muscles to make them stronger. Mm -hmm. We apply stress to our cardiovascular system to make it stronger. But very rarely do we apply that same concept to our brains, our emotions and things like that. But when you think about it, it's exactly the same. Like, I'm I'm not saying you Mm -hmm. should go and, I mean, I guess it's- Start a fight. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I'm kind of, I guess my point is, um, you, I mean, it's it's kind of the, the whole idea of putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, right, to grow. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the same thing, really. It's just it, mm-hmm. it's just you know doing uh, I don't know lifting um, d- d- <laughs> like mental dumbbells. doing a drop set, yeah, <laughs> yeah, doing a exactly. drop set, um, and kind of yeah, just applying stress to your to your to your brain a little bit, and it, and you come out the other end feeling like so much more capable, like mentally capable mm. of dealing with things. And I, it's just, mm. I know it's a, quite a random, but it, it, just everything you Makes said, sense. everything you no. said just kind of made me think yeah. of that. And um, so, yeah, maybe we need to um, have like mental gyms where you go in and someone just comes and shouts in your face for half an hour. And then you're like, <laughs> I, I got through that. I can deal with it. <laughs> I think that's well, kind I, of I what... Think, like, <laughs> I think that makes sense, but I think I think that's the thing about like we heal in relation. Like yeah. we heal. Sometimes we can't heal on our own. We need, you know, all relationships are going to have conflict, like yeah. no matter what, regardless of what they are. And it's funny you said this because I actually had a moment with my therapist because I found I was really struggling in a lot of online communities because I like to debate. I like to talk about things. I don't find that conflict like troublesome. And I've been in a lot of online communities where any type of conflict, any type of disagreement is very like, no, 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 no. Can't deal with that because people don't want to have to mediate it. And so I would often end up leaving or getting kicked out of groups because I was the conflict starter. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember saying this to my therapist because I was like, I, but I pictured conflict within my relationships as a sign of breaking down. And she was like, well, wait a minute, you see conflict in these groups as you know, that it's be- that it's good, that we talk things out, that we work things out, you learn something new. It doesn't ha- always have to be a sign of like that the community is breaking apart, but yet in your personal relationships, you think if you have an argument with your partner, that it's a sign of a slowly breaking down relationship. And and I think that that's a, that's a really big thing because I think we are like a lot of communities are very conflict avoidant. A lot of communities are very like there's a one of my favorite quotes is from Viktor Frankl. And it says between stimulus and response, there is a space and that space is our power to choose our response in our response lies our growth and freedom. And I think there is there are so many communities and places where the, there's an idea that there is no space between stimulus and response that immediately you respond immediately, whatever feelings you have are, I'm not saying feelings aren't valid, but I do sometimes think we've overvalidated feelings to the point where it's like, if you have an immediate feeling, it needs an action. It's always valid. It doesn't require like, and it's always the right thing. And the big person with the biggest feelings is the most right. And I don't yeah. think that that's, you know, always the case. Yes, we need a little bit of stress 
like on our, our, like we're going to experience stress. And the more you go through conflict and trials, the more that you're like, okay, I'm okay now. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's a, there's a really great account on, on Instagram called repairing the nervous system, which I definitely recommend everyone look at. I haven't taken any of that person's courses, so I can't validate that, but there's a lot in there about like, your nervous system does need to experience up and downs, but if you're always at a constant high, it's hard for you to actually get to a calm mm. and that's where it becomes difficult. So I, I agree. Like, I definitely think conflict it like conflict is inevitable. It's not a sign that everything's terrible. It's not a bad thing, but I definitely think you also have to learn how to come back down again because yeah. like the same thing with gym and like, I'm a big gym bro. So like, <laughs> I know a lot of other words, but like, you know, you want to have a positive relationship to exercise. You don't want to go into the gym and bust your ass and to the point where you injure yourself exactly. and then you can't work yeah, out exactly. for like, literally, five, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's managed. Yeah. It's a managed uh, stress. Isn't That's it? so kind true. Of, yeah. Do it incrementally. Yeah. But um, yeah. That was great. Yeah. I think we're gonna. We've probably. I think. Do you think we've covered it? Because we're gonna go to question of the week now. That's yeah. okay with you. Yes. Um, it's time for our game. Our game of the week, which isn't really a game. It's just it's an just, extra it's, question. It's that's, the week. That's yeah, maybe... it's like this is the thing I realized this the other day. Yeah. When we're like we're doing interviews and we're like, oh, question of the week is less valid when it's more than when it's the two of us asking questions for the entire episode. Yeah, but, but the difference. The difference <laughs> with question of the week is. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm gonna You're gonna back us up here? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna fight <laughs> okay. the corner of question of the week. <laughs> is that it's not a question that we have have decided to ask. It's a question that the the guest or we get asked by other people. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. although we might not have uh um exactly the same viewpoint with everyone that we speak to all the time, um mm -hmm. that we we generally agree that that anyone that we're, we have on the show is going to have a point of view that's very that? interesting, valid, and kind of bring something different to the to the table. But we're, we're never going to complete. We're never going to disagree with them. I also so think bringing like, in yeah. kind of a question from the outside, I think, allows mm. that to kind of creep in a little bit. And I think it also allows, like, it, it helps us contribute to the discussion around like the diversity of the poly experience. You know, yeah. like mm -hmm. there's such a blanket understanding of this is what all polyamorous people do or this is what non-monogamy is and actually it's just as diverse as any other community so yeah, exactly. um exactly. Yeah. right well we've just we talked we're so everybody out there we've uh, we've we've consulted with lola about this uh mm -hmm. and it's kind of based around your work on the column and you get asked mm -hmm. a lot of questions and uh, mm -hmm. when we were chatting with you before the episode you sort of came back to us and you said that I kind of get this sort of overarching question. It's sort of underlying most of the, st the things that people write in with and it comes down to, you know, is what I want normal or is what I'm doing mm -hmm. or what I am normal? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, what? how would you answer that or, or what do you have to say about that? It's a slightly more abstract It's question. abstract, but, but you know, we're here. But it's, but it's, it's obviously like all centres yeah. around anxiety, around yeah. identities that don't fit societal expectations and things like that. So, yeah. and, and you yeah. speak a lot about that so yeah is what i want normal question of the week yeah <laughs> take it away <laughs> i think yeah a lot of people i think in a way want to want to know if like what they're doing what they're feeling is typical or if what they're feeling is like out of bounds or and i think that comes down to what we were talking about like of knowing when to say when is is another part uh, aspect of that but i think it also comes from the idea of like not feeling like it's okay to feel, not feeling like it's okay to have emotions about things. And there's so much pressure that doesn't exist in the same ways for a lot of monogamous people. I mean, there's there's endless amounts of jokes that some comedians tell about like how much they dislike their spouse. Like the, the idea that you could be slightly unhappy and that's fine in a relationship is kind of accepted and, and sometimes a sad way in, in monogamy, but there isn't space sometimes to be unhappy or even to experience a little bit of unhappiness or to feel unsure or to feel like, hmm, I don't know, or, or just, you know, any kind of unhappiness. And it's so quickly because a lot of people, the first thing they ask about is jealousy because that's kind of like the framework that they're given and that's fine. And I know a lot of people get annoyed by it, but I would just, you know, remember that this is coming from a, a space of like their own survival. And it's, it's not like always because every monogamous person wants to control somebody else. But I think that the pressure to be 
okay and just to be cool with it and just to be fine is so heavy that just someone, you know, being able to say like, it's okay that you feel bad and it, it, it's not the end of the world. And it, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person, I think is something that a lot of people just need to hear sometimes. And I think it's not, like I said, there's definitely other parallels. I mean, we all, to a certain extent, we want, we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be alone with our feelings. We don't want to feel like we're the only person in the world that feels this. And even though, you know, there's billions of people on the planet and most likely there is somebody who has felt the same as you on a, on a fundamental basis. Like this is why I think I write stories. This is why fiction works so well. This is why we tell stories to each other, why we connect is we don't want to be alone. And so I think people really want to just feel like it's okay. Like, okay. From a standpoint of like, can I do this? It's okay. From a standpoint of like, is this typical or is this, you know, we don't have any framework. So like I said, with my first polyamory experience um, and I talk about it, I think a bit in the book, but I won't go too deep into it, but basically I agreed to a situation where someone was using me to cheat and I, I but I didn't know that because they had, they had lied to me. But I thought, okay, well, I can't ask about this because it's not normal. Like I can't set my boundary and say, no, actually I am going to add her on Facebook and I'm not going to wait until we meet in person. You know, like there are right. things like aspects of that, that I think play into like the discussion of like, is this okay? And I think that's where having a therapist is super, super helpful. And I think that's where like in monogamous relationships, you have your friends, you have your friends to talk to about stuff. And that's one of the reasons why when you, when you see like one of the books I recommend is why does he do that by Lindy Bancroft? And it talks about like the process of like, like what abusive people tend to do, which one of those is to like take you away from your friends or family, because those are the people that will sense check things. Those are the people who'd be like, hmm, maybe that's not cool because when you're kind of have the love blinders on, you're a little bit like, eh, but we don't, sometimes people don't have that. And like you said, it takes, you know, if you say, oh, well, is it? And they'll be like, well, it's because you're an open relationship. That's why. So it's (laughs) like, you don't have that. So I think there's a lot going into that question of like, is this normal? But I think overall, it's about like people not wanting to feel alone and also giving people just the permission to feel bad. Like you can feel bad. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you can't do polyamory. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person, that you're a controlling person. You can feel bad. It also doesn't mean that you have to do anything about it. Sometimes you just feel bad. And I think, you know, that helps because so much of the advice, like I feel like when you already have that sense of yourself, when you're already super confident within yourself, the advice given of like, just remember that you're a special snowflake and amazing little flower. And that's why your partner loves you. And they wouldn't leave you because you're so unique. Like that advice really works well if you already have a solid foundation for yourself. But if the rest of your brain is like, no, actually, you need to make sure something happens because if you don't do anything, they're going to leave you like everyone else. And we've already experienced this really intense trauma. We don't want to go through like that little like SpongeBob type of voice doesn't <laughs> doesn't work well with that like inner survival voice. So I, yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into it. But just you know, if I could like convey anything to anyone that's like, is this normal? Is this not like one? Check with the therapist. Like get a therapist who can sense check if you really feel like you if you feel unsafe, if you feel extremely unhappy, see a therapist. Like that's always a good. <laughs> shout. And if your partners have a problem with you seeing a therapist, that's a big problem. (laughs) And then I think like, just remember, like you're allowed to feel things and it doesn't, they don't have to be actioned on and they can just be like, I just feel like crap. And it is what it is. And and it doesn't mean, it doesn't have to mean anything about you as a person. One of the really cool language facts that I, I really like is that I think, and I'm not an Irish speaker, so I could be wrong. But I think in Irish, when you say like, you don't say I am sad, you say I have sadness. So you express Mm. the idea that emotions aren't you. They are just something that's part of you. Yeah. Yeah, And I think seeing it that way can really help. Like you aren't an anxious person. You aren't, you know, a sad person. You're just feeling sad. And that's sometimes just part of life. 100%. I love that. There There you you have it. it. Sometimes <laughs> that's just life. Love it. Um, thank Lola, you so much. For thank you so <laughs> much for oh, your art, just the way you explain everything, your generosity of your thank time you. and your stories, um, and sharing them with us and and with our little growing community. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we would love for you to share 
your socials, your website, anything about your yeah, columns. Where, where can, where so can we find you? Everybody can find you um, and, and cool. follow along with your work as well. Cool. So yeah, I everything is at nonmonogamyhelp.com. I put the columns in the podcast there. I am on Twitter and Instagram at nonmonogamyhelp. So you can find them everything there. I try to like make sure everything's announced in time, um, but I can miss some things. There's an email newsletter, which is definitely like you get all the columns and podcasts a little bit early. I think if you go to go.nonmonogamyhelp.com forward slash email, then that's where the the email list is. Um, And yeah, I also do have a patron if you want to like Patreon rather, if you want to support um, what I do, that's just patreon.com forward slash Lola Phoenix, but you can find the podcast pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Cause I, I, I use anchor, I believe. So it's like on Spotify, mm-hmm. Apple music and all those other places. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much where you can find me. And, and the book, where can they get the book? Oh any, yeah. Any, yeah. <laughs> I forgot it doesn't matter. My book doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> You can find it. Um, you you can usually find it on in most grocery store grocery stores bookstores. You can find it at, on Amazon. Um, if you go to Jessica Kingsley Publishers or JKP.com, I believe they have uh, the. You can buy it directly from the publisher. Um, it's always nice to buy it from like a little independent bookstore. So if you have like a local one and you can request they get it, that's always really nice. Um, and I think that I do. It's available maybe in some libraries too. So, um, but it, there is like nonmonogamyhelp.com forward slash book which like lists several of the places where you can find it and if you join my email newsletter there's like a 10 percent off coupon you can use on the publisher's website hey so, there you, you go hey, I love coupon. look out I love coupon. And if you uh, if you lift up that extra um that that cauliflower that you just you know, <laughs> put back and you, you'll see a copy of it in oh the in God. the grocery section <laughs> yeah, um, lord maybe one day yes just a little oh. surprise Dead. Uh, anyway, um, and you yeah. can you can subscribe to us. You can rate yes, and us. review us. Please do that. Um, share it with a friend. Yeah. Share Please it with do. anyone. Please do. Uh, anyone you think you'd like it. Um, you know, keep listening to it. Friends, family, colleagues, if it's yeah. appropriate. You know, go wild. Uh, and you can also follow us on social media. We are at Polly underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, we also have a website, the dash Polly dash podcast dot captivate dot fm and. Email us, guys. Don't be shy. We are podcastthepolly at gmail.com. Yes. But, yeah. Cool. Until next time. Yes. See you all next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.